welcome to King's Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about King's Church, visit kcnyc.org. This is going to be a little bit more of a teaching night than a preaching night. I'm really going to actually be like teaching. Um, I, as if, you, if you've heard me a handful of times, I lean towards preacher, but the lawyer side of my brain is going to be out tonight, and I'm going to do a lot more teaching and kind of a lot, a lot of logic. So if you're not good at logic, I'm sorry. <laughs> the church is not very good at logic these days, right? Deductive reasoning is not a strong suit in the church's universe. They're, they love inductive reasoning. They love looking at the whole picture and assuming things from the picture. But God is logical. God has an order and a way and a system, and he gave us a word, right? And that word has specific steps to it. And I'm going um, to share with you today, um, we are in the eighth message set, and not set, but message in this series that we've called Good Kills. And it is something, I, I wrote a manuscript called Good Kills a couple of years ago, two or three years ago. And um, I didn't feel like it was the right time to speak about it. And, and then this all of kind of church closing and racial divide and confusion all over the place came. And I felt like the Lord was like, now is the time to start speaking about this. And so whatever it was, 10, 12 weeks ago, we've, we've started this journey. And is it okay if I just kind of lead you step by step on where we've gone? Because sometimes we show up and we're like, what are, we, what are we talking about? Why are we here? Like, this doesn't make sense. But I'm going to just show you kind of messages one through seven and then where we're at here on number eight, okay? So the first message we said um, that heaven has a sword. How many of you guys heard that message, heaven has a sword? And I remember that uh, I was at, I was teaching a theology class at, a, at a, an attractional church and I said, um, good kills, and I said, God created the sword. I said a couple of things, and I looked like the, my audience was going to die. They looked like they were all going to die, or stone me, one of the two. And um, I was like, the church doesn't understand God has a system of justice and order, and it's proscribed by him. Now, there's a thing called proscription, and there's a thing called prescription. Proscription are, is what we're not supposed to do. Prescription is what we are supposed to do. And God has both proscriptive and prescriptive orders for our life for us to walk in. And he gives them to us so that we would flourish. Amen? And so when we see a church that's not flourishing, that's not strong, that people are anemic and dealing with sin and shame, and it's... it's Sin is systemic inside of the church. It means we have a church that has not rightly used the sword. And the sword, in the first place in the scripture, we ever see it, it comes from heaven to earth, and it is in the hand of an angel. It is not in the hand of the devil. It is not in the hand of a demon. The demons did not create the sword. God himself, in fact, created the sword. And so we should talk about it, and we should understand it. And that's kind of our first step. The second step was that God's throne, it says in Psalm, is established on justice and righteousness. God's throne is not established on mercy. And that's a very confounding principle to most believers. They believe that God's throne is established in mercy. It is not. Justice is the land, the ground, the firm place, 
Mercy are the trees and the grass. Without justice, mercy cannot exist. Without a system of moral order, you cannot act merciful to one. You need to first be established in what is right and what is wrong, what is good and what is evil, to then be able to exercise mercy. So justice and righteousness are the foundation of the throne of God himself. Therefore, they are first principles. They are first in order of understanding. We said that the fool says in his heart, there is no God, remember? And we said that the fool actually in the Bible is not a dummy. He's not someone that doesn't know calculus. He's not someone that hasn't taken a philosophy class. The fool in the scripture is a moral fool. He doesn't believe God's system of moral order. And so because he doesn't believe God's system of moral order, he places his own system of moral order and says, I will be the one that determines what's good and bad, right and wrong, evil and not evil. I will be the one who wields the sword. I will be the one who divides rightly and wrongly. And we said from the beginning of time, that has been the primary lie is for the enemy to try to get us to be the arbiter of right and wrong and not allow God's word to be the arbiter of right and wrong. The next thing that I said, and this was the third week, I said the sword was specific, it was given for a reason, but that reason is human flourishing. If you hang out in church culture in America, you see a grand divide. You see mercy, grace, everything's good, God loves you all the time, money, blah, da 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 and then you see like, God's intense, holiness, repentance, hellfire, brimstone. Well, both of those are correct, but one without the other is heresy. And so we said, God brings the sword and justice and order so in fact we can live in his righteousness and flourishing. So we have peace and love and goodness and kindness growing in our hearts and around us and everywhere we go. And if we don't have those things, it means that we haven't applied the sword rightly to our life. And one of the things that we said, just, and this is, I love this picture, is that the cross itself is almost a picture of a sword upside down, plunging into the earth to cut the curse and to allow all of us to enter into this new kingdom dynamic by our death. That's what baptism is, right? Through our death, we, we come alive in this new life in Christ. So we have to die to our way and our system and our order and our moral structure and adopt a new one. Is this okay? I know I'm like, I'm being a school teacher. Thank you, Gabe, for that thumbs up. The Gabe thumbs up is an important one, you know? <laughs> um, okay, now the, the next one is... So, we, so God breathed into us the sword, order, structure, righteousness. It's all four flourishing of the human heart. And then the next point was that God created life, but life is not a gift. And we did this message called life is not a gift. Life, nowhere in the scripture, you cannot find a single verse in the Bible that says life is a gift. And that was blowing people's brains up. I, I, didn't, I didn't know that. I, I, I discovered it in this message. And the idea here is that God says, here is life. I want you to live it according to my way. A gift you can do whatever you want with, you know? My dad gave me a guitar on one of my birthdays. He's like, you're probably never going to play this. And I was like, I will play it every day because you said that. You know what, kids? <laughs> like, I was, the fuel of guitar playing was rebellion. <laughs> the Lord redeemed it. The Lord used it. <laughs> 
But a gift you can do whatever you want with. You don't have to play the red guitar. You can throw it in, you can throw it in your closet. And your parents are like, whatever, it's a gift. You can do whatever you want with it. But life is not something you can do whatever you want with. It comes with express obligations from God himself. And he says to mankind to be fruitful and multiply, to live in this abundant place, to follow his way so we live in this abundant place of, of flourishing, of, of fruitfulness, of multiplying. And so because right, life is not a gift, it's actually there's an, there's an order of things a way that God wants us to live, it led into the next message called a higher hierarchy. And we said God has an order that he's given mankind, and it's shown in his scripture. Hierarchy means an order of importance from top to bottom. Some things are very important, and some things are of lesser importance, right? Me, killing, I don't want to, I don't know, why am I using, using such horrible examples? I'm trying to think of a lesser example. Me stealing a, a bubble gum is not as bad as me stealing your car, right? Me stealing your car, you're not allowed to go to work, your car is worth at least $1,000, the bubble gum is worth less than that. There are moral orders of importance in the scripture, and Jesus actually clearly says, if you lead one of the little ones astray, it's like tying a millstone to your neck and throwing yourself in the ocean. It will be worse for you than that. He doesn't say if you don't tithe, it's like tying a millstone to your neck and throwing yourself in the ocean, even though in our church it, it feels like the opposite, right? We spend so much time on tithing and so little time on loving the little ones or caring about family or being intentional about the actual family that God's given us. We have those things in verse, but God has a hierarchy of moral order that he's given to us. You know, I was thinking, um, the thing about a hierarchy of moral order, if you, don't, if you don't understand it, if you don't understand the things that are important, like imagine that there are lions crawling around your backyard, like right now. There's like nine or 10 hungry lions. You've got a decent-sized backyard, not huge, decent, half-acre. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to go out today, and I am going to deal ferociously and, and, and maniacally with the fire ants in my backyard. I'm the fire ants are messing with, the, with my grass. They're creating, like, hills of dirt. And I am going to use all of my force and all of my power and all of my ingenuity to take out the fire ants. What happens? You die. That's what happens. And if there's a church that doesn't understand the hierarchy of moral order, they go after ants and there's lions that are tearing them apart. They go after pathetic things like your finances and they leave sexual immorality alone even though that's devastating the church. Does that make sense? So if we don't get the hierarchy, then we get eaten. We get destroyed. And then last week, we, it was two weeks ago. Was it two weeks ago? Who preached last week? Me? No one. Fourth is why. Thank you. <laughs> Been a while. The week before that, we said heaven has a wall. And if you understand, if you see the progression, we're talking about the sword as boundary. We're talking about moral order. We're talking about the things that are hierarchical in value. And then we got to this place that heaven itself actually has a wall around it. Revelation chapter 21. And it says that nothing unclean will ever enter it. 
nor anyone who practices an abomination or a lie, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so heaven has a wall, and that wall protects the family of Christ, the body, the body of Christ. It keeps us safe and protected and flourishing, and it keeps out the stuff that wants to kill us and destroy us. It keeps out the lions and the fire ants. It keeps out all of the bad stuff. And what's like, so this next um, sermon title, chapter, or whatever it's called, is called Black Lies Gather. That's the, that's the title of it, okay? And it's talking about the, the problem with lies. And, and here's the issue. If you understand that God has justice, justice is important to the heart of God. He has a hierarchical moral order. He has a wall around heaven to protect it. And you take that moral order and that pattern that God has given to us and you apply it to a lie, you will still have chaos. If you take God's system of commandments, Ten Commandments, and then you say to me, you know, my friend Eric Lucas has been late at night sneaking over to his mom's house and stabbing his dad in the liver and then sneaking out, I'd be like, that's horrific on the scale. That's horrible. He can't play guitar anymore <laughs> at the church. It's not allowed. <laughs> no liver stabbers can play on the stage here. But if it's a lie then the entire moral order that God gives us doesn't work anymore because it cannot be established upon a lie. It says this. This is, this is like lodged in my brain two weeks ago. I had already written the second chapter, but I hadn't understood how the flow was. It says that in heaven, no, no one who practices any abominable acts, like gross foul, gross stuff. Don't do that. You're not allowed on the team if you do that. And it says, or anyone who speaks a lie, they are not allowed in the heavenly city. And you know, we think about like, Ten Commandments, don't murder people, don't stab your dad in the liver, don't do whatever, da, 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 you go down the list, and then you're like, don't lie, that's not a big deal. Like, you know, one time my mom made pasta and I told her it was great and like it needed more salt, you know, that's not a big deal, God, you know that. Why is that on the list, God? I don't understand that. You know, that, in, in the actual Ten Commandments, if you read the Hebrew, thou shalt not lie is actually thou shalt not bear false witness, and bearing false witness is representing truth in a legal matter because the law is going to be applied to it, and then a judgment will come forth. Does that make sense? So it's not just a white lie, it's about representing the world wrongly, and so then the judge cannot apply law rightly to the world. John 8, 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. In Genesis 3, 4, the primary lie central is you shall not surely die. You will eat of the fruit, you will do what you want, and you will live, and it will be just fantastic. Don't even worry about it. 
Matthew chapter 12, 33, make a tree good and its fruit will be good, or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Verse 34, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. The good man, out of the good things of the good store of his treasure, the evil out of the evil things out of his evil store of treasure. Finally here in Matthew 13, it says this, the people's heart has grown callous. They don't hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And all these scriptures are about choosing, they're Pharisees first, and at the end, this people group that Jesus is talking about, choosing to believe in lies purposefully because you don't want to deal with the truth because the way you're living is more comfortable and acceptable than the way that's truth, which can be painful, right? When you shine the mirror on yourself, it can be painful. You can say, I don't look that great this morning. But the real problem with lies, it's not just that when they're represented, justice cannot rightly analyze the world. It's also that lies actually change the world. What do you mean by that? How can a lie change? How can a lie change the world? How is that possible? Well, let's look here in Genesis chapter three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any wild animals that the Lord God had made, and the serpent said to the woman, "Did God really say that you must not eat from any tree in the garden?" The serpent says to Eve, like. What an absolute jerk God is. Like, he sat you here, you're in the Garden of Eden, there's all of these amazing things to do, there's all these trees to climb and swing on, and fruits, there's long yellow fruits, there's round, ovular, orange, there's what an amazing land, but oh, that's right, super mean, super restrictive God said that you can't eat of any tree. And verse 2 says, and the woman said to the serpent, no, you don't understand God. You, you weren't here. You don't get it. It says this. It says, we may eat of the fruit of the trees, but God did say, you must not eat from the fruit that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. I want you to know something. That is not what God said. So because of the lie, the serpent seeded into the heart of the woman, literally the world changed for her. And she believed God said something he never said. This is what it says. This is what God said in Genesis 2.16. It says, And the Lord commanded him, You may freely eat from every tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in that day of you, that you eat of it, you will surely die. Does anyone see anything about touching there? Does anyone see anything about God saying you shan't, you shan't, is that a word, shan't? You shan't touch it, yeah, we're good, okay. <laughs> you shan't touch it? No, God never said that. But Eve now believes the world is other than how God actually made it. And when people lie, and people lie outside of church and inside of church, two things happen. One, that it's, it, you can't establish God's justice upon a lie. And two, it changes your view of the world itself. 
And so we're talking about, we're talking about this idea of good kills. Good cannot execute justice upon a lie. When lies are interwoven into the body of Christ, God cannot show you how to act justly because you believe lies about the world itself. And, and, and one of the crazy things about us in the United States, especially just us regular people, we watch the news and we believe that it's just the truth. And we don't understand that the news has a specific financial incentive to show us the most horrific things over and over and over again so we will keep watching, so they will keep getting money. And we believe because we see these things over and over again on the box, we say that is how the world must be, but it is not how the world is. And so the church, because it hasn't, it's, been, it's really subjugated itself to the worldview, the secular worldview, whatever the world says, it just believes and it swallows wholesale. Instead of having an analytic view that says, I don't know if this is actually true. You're not for me. You're for you making money for you. You're not for me understanding truth. God, so, so this, is, this is something I was thinking about, like, okay, David, so if that's true, why has the church, much of the church, believed in the lies that are common today? And I'll talk about some of those in a minute, but I want to just say as a blanket statement, when a nation is in sin, God allows lies to enter. When a nation is in sin, God allows lies to come in because lies explode things. You'll see this here in 1 Kings 22. Then the messenger who had gone to call Micah and instructed him, behold, with accord the words of the prophets are favorable to the king, so let the words be like theirs and speak favorably. So here's this picture. There's two kings, Jehoshaphat and Ahab. They're bad guys. They're leading the nation poorly. They're, 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 they're sinning with idol worship alongside the worship of Jehovah. And God is allowing the prophets of God to literally speak lies. And God is, God is saying, I'm going to bring judgment upon them. Let's figure out how to do it. And the Lord said in verse 19 of 1 Kings 22, Who will entice Ahab, the king of Israel, to march up and fall at Ramoth Gilead? God wants to kill Ahab because he's been unrighteous. He's been living in unrighteousness. And he says, who will entice him to go to this battle so we can end him? And it says this, and one suggested this and another that. This story is playing out before the throne of God, and Micah is, is telling it to the kings. It says this, then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, asked the Lord? And he replied, I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouths of all his prophets. You will surely entice him and prevail, said the Lord. Go and do it. The Lord allows a lying spirit to be placed in the mouth of the prophets. And people are like, oh, no, that doesn't happen in the New Testament anymore. Please show me a scripture where it says that doesn't happen in the New Testament anymore. Please show me that scripture because it doesn't exist. Verse 22, and you see the Lord has put, 
This is <laughs> Micah is a bad dude. He's saying this to the kings and the prophets that are surrounding them. He says, see, the Lord has put a lying spirit in your mouths. And these prophets of yours, the Lord has pronounced disaster against. And the prophets were all saying, we're going to be successful. It's all party time. I said this morning, if you get on this, this Christian website, which I like because I believe in the prophetic and I speak in the prophetic and I, I ask God for words and we, we, we get words fulfilled by God. But I, I go to this website and every single word is about how much God's blessing America and it's your day of favor and the favor of God is on you. I'm like, Where, what, what nation are you in? Where are you living? What are you talking about? Churches... We've, we've lost 25% of the churches in America this last year. They're gone. They don't exist anymore. Barna. They're gone. It's, it's, <laughs> it's batty. And if you say that, then, you become, then you're like a bad guy. And then you're like, no, what if actually that's what's happening? Because I'm not believing in lies. I'm believing in what God says. And what God says is always true. I want to read you a couple of scriptures about lies. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. He doesn't say the wrath of God is revealed because people are acting in morality and making it with their girlfriends. Now that is maybe as well but this is specifically they're lying. They're suppressing the truth. They're not revealing to you. They're not representing the entire world rightly. This morning I, I said the definition of heretic, this is A.W. Tozer, he says the definition of heretic is one who picks and chooses. We think of a heretic as like this guy brought in like a you know a camel and there was like a, they sliced one of its hooves off and they did hoof blood over the people, and that's a heretic. Like, no, a heretic is simply one who picks and chooses the stuff he wants but doesn't represent the full truth. John 14, Jesus said to them, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. First John 3, 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning um, is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. What kind of sinning has the devil been doing from the beginning? Lying. The lawyer got it. The <laughs> you guys all got it. You're on the team. You don't fail. I'll give you all, I'll give you all C pluses. Good work. <laughs> Revelation 19.11. Um, excuse me. Ephesians 4.5. Rather speaking truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him, he who is the head into Christ. Truth is often painful, which is why we have to speak truth in love. Truth is often offensive, which is why we speak truth with mercy and grace one to another. Truth can, can, can make me feel bad, and that's okay. But as believers, we speak truth in love one to another, that we would be built up in Christ. We don't avoid truth. We speak it in love. Uh, last year, our church, um, our church I, I was... March, April, May, and the, the end of May, we had the George Floyd explosion here in New York City, and a, and a number of people were texting me personally, and they were saying, this is what they were saying, they were saying, black people are being hunted down by cops and killed, why aren't you talking about this, Pastor? Why aren't you talking about this? And um, I was like, well, there's a lot of reasons I'm not talking about it, 
but the first, the primary reason is it's been like two days and I haven't found out what's happened yet. And I'm an attorney as well as a pastor. And, and thank God I'm an attorney because almost all of my pastor friends were just like, well, they wanted blood day one. And I'm like, I don't know what happened yet. I don't know what happened. I have to wait to find out what happened because justice can't be applied on untruth. You don't, if you don't know what happened, you can't apply justice yet. And so I can't run to justice or judgment if I haven't seen all the facts yet. And so this is what, this is what people in my, in my church were saying. There's a guy, Ta-Nehisi Coates. He's um, a, a black man that speaks at churches, Baptist uh, urban churches. He's an atheist. And this is what his, these are some of uh, his quotes. Your black body is in constant jeopardy. For your entire life, there will be a war for the possession of your body. White America is a syndicate arrayed to protect exclusive power, dominate, and to control your body. And so he's saying police brutality, uh, 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 the death of unarmed black people is an epidemic in the United States. I had an acquaintance whose church posted this. Church home recognizes the killing of black people as a national crisis. I just said the name of the church. I didn't mean to do that. As a collective community. <laughs> so be it. As a collective community, we grieve by the, cons by the continued... Listen, please listen to this phrasing, because it's a lie. And I, this is why it's important. Please, uh, it says, God grieves as we grieve by the continued targeting, torturing, and killing of black men, women, and boys and girls. So, so boys and girls are constantly being continued, tortured, and killed by police is the insinuation, and we recognize the ongoing issue of racism, da 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 Of course we recognize racism. We recognize every sin that exists in the human heart. We recognize racism, and lust, and deceit, and envy, and murder, and strife, and jealousy, and perversion, and all of the whole, we recognize all of those sins. But they're saying, they were saying to me, Pastor, why don't you talk about this national crisis? And I, in part because I'm a lawyer, in part because I'm a fact guy, in part because I'm a little bit of a research guy, I ended up looking up the stats. And so I'm just going to give you the stats. For instance, in 2016, the number of black people that were killed by cops that were unarmed was 18 people. Um, the number of black people that were struck by lightning was 96 people. The number of black people killed by whites was about between 250 and 300. The number of black people killed by other black people was 2,570. The number of black people killed in car crashes was 6,706. There were 18 by cops that were unarmed. And, they were, and people were, were pressing me and saying, why won't you say this is a national crisis? And I said, because it's a lie. It's not a national crisis. Every bad thing that happens, the church has a response for. And that response is to reckon people to justice and mercy. That people would be, that those 18 instances would all come under the full justice of the law, but that we would not lie as a nation and say, if you're black, you're being targeted and tortured in America. That is a lie. And when you take God's system of justice, the sword, the order of moral hierarchy, the, 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 the wall that's supposed to be around the church, and you say to all of those things, now be applied to an epidemic. This is I had a friend that was interviewing people on the streets and he said, they were saying, how many people do you think have been shot by police? How many uh, people of color in, 
unarmed. And they're like thousands, tens of thousands this year. It's tens of thousands. Why do they believe that? Because the father of lies loves to destroy people. He loves to turn one against another that we would be at our throats killing and destroying each other. And because, and Jesus says, and I, uh, earlier I quoted this, that you judge a tree by its fruit. Out of, out of the heart, out of a good heart, a righteous heart that's been redeemed by the Lord, good things spring forth. Out of an evil and unregenerate heart, evil and unregenerate things spring forth. And what happened is evil and an unregenerate thing sprung forth in our city. We had a murder rate increase doubled. We had fires all over the place. It was chaos. Um, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this. I was thinking, if you have a male doctor and he's, he, like, he does cancer super well, and you say to that male doctor, um, you know, your mom needs to get whatever, examine, she has some kind of bone cancer form. And your mom comes in and the male doctor walks in the room and he says, I looked over your charts and it looks pretty serious. There's a couple of ways to, to, to deal with this and I think we can save, I think we can save you. And the, and the mom says, how dare you as a man try to diagnose me as a female? How dare you, you misogynist? It's the same thing we're doing with this cultural conversation. If you are a white person, you can't talk about black issues. If you're a black person, you can't talk about white issues. If you're a mom, you can't talk about dad issues. That doesn't exist in the scripture. Truth is truth. And when truth is communicated in love, it doesn't mean it doesn't sting, but it means it's freeing. It means we don't have to be bound to the chains that the world is bound by. It means that we can apply goodness and justice and righteousness to the world in an accurate way. It means that when we perceive the world around us, that we'll be able to rightly perceive it and rightly discern spirits. It means that we won't be chasing fire ants in the backyard. We'll be chasing the lions that are trying to devour the church. Does that make sense? I got a last, last point here. And so the question is, if you're a questioning person, okay, David, what, but what do we do if a lie has come in? How do we deal with it? How do we, how do we, how do we pick it out? How do, we, how do we get rid of it? And, and the Lord showed me this really cool picture in Genesis. And in Genesis, Moses goes up on the mountain. And he's meeting with God. He's getting the rule. He's getting the order. He's getting the construct by which the Israelites will live in. And the, while he's gone, the people are like, he's not coming back. Like, he's <laughs> he, he went over the mountain and kept going. You know, the bear went over the mountain, except this is Moses. Went over the mountain. And they're like, we need to do something. We need our own God. We need our own golden calf. And... I always thought the golden calf, especially as a kid, was just a, like the dumbest animal you could ever worship. Why would you worship a cow? You know, like udders flopping. No, no. Like I would do a lion. I would do a badger. I would do a lot of different animals I would worship. But a cow is definitely way down. I would be the silver badger guy, you know. I realized that a cow actually represents your food. It actually represents your, your nourishment, your sustenance, how you eat. 
And the golden element is money. It's the most important things for human beings, money and food. That's why the Israelites are worshiping the golden cow, because it's representative of cash and provision. And so they're representing, they're starting to worship this false deity. And it says, it's wild, it says, after they create the golden calf, it says, and then they say, and then tomorrow we will worship the Lord. And so they didn't throw out God. They didn't say, God, get out of here. They just brought in this new idea up alongside God. So we're going to do both. It sounds cool. It's, I think both will work for us. Both are, both are good. And so Moses comes down from the mountain, and he loses his mind. He loses it. And um, he burns the golden calf to ash, and he makes the people drink the water and the ash so they can taste the bitterness of the idol. So they realize the thing that they were worshiping is ultimately a bitter thing at its most base components. That it didn't stand the test of fire and flame. That it could not stand under, stand under the scrutiny of God's fire. It says this in um, 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13 in the ESV. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. When God's fire comes upon our life in form of pain or tribulation or suffering, it's so the true things will remain and the things that are false will, will fall away that we would reflect the image of Jesus. Because we live in a world where we pick stuff up. There's a father of lies around the place. And he's constantly, Jesus said, all he does is speak lies. It's his native language. He's constantly communicating lies. And we live in this world. And so we need the fire of God in our life to burn away the things that are false and untrue. And I've seen the fire of God come to a church to our church last summer, and it was incredibly painful and then incredibly blessed. And the presence of God and the momentum of God has been unbelievably apparent, but we had to go through a time of testing. And I'm so grateful that the Lord Jesus would lead us. He would, it's almost like he would trust us enough to say, son and daughter, you can make it through the fire. You can go through the hard things. You can look at the hard truths. And when you walk through them, when you pass through them, you will look more like me and less like the golden calf. That thing, those idols will be broken down and my spirit will come in your life and you will walk in the, tr in the world and you'll be able to rightly be a discerner of spirits. People think discerning of the spirits is always like, man, that person's got lust demons all over him. They're climbing over his head. I saw him walk in and there was like a, a greed demon in his earlobe. It's like discerning of spirits is also about discerning what is of the devil and what is of the kingdom of God. And you know what is of the devil? Lies. His language is lies because he's the father of lies from the beginning. But Jesus said, I am the way, the 
truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through my construct and order. And that's the order that gives flourishing and life and abundance. Amen? That's all she wrote for chapter 8. Uh, worship team, why don't you come up? Church, stand with me. Father, we thank you for truth, God. Lord, and we thank you that it's your desire to lead us in a world that is a world of truth, that we can rightly carry the burdens from heaven concerning the world around us, God, that we would not be chasing things that the world tells us to chase, but we would be chasing your heart, oh God, and that you would lead us and direct us. Jesus, that you are the way. You're not stasis in position, but you're leading us through this world. And God, would you do so and lead us into the garden of God again, the place of flourishing through the cross, through the death of self, and to rise again in newness of life with you in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really believe that God wants you to know him in a personal and tangible way. If there's any way we can assist your journey, please reach out to kcnyc.org.